The following message is entitled, The Defining Proof of Real Faith. This message was given during the evening service on December 4th, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. We turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I just introduced with last Sunday night's sermon, verse 7. So now we will start to microscope 1 Peter 1, verse 7. And um, the title for the sermon tonight is The Defining Proof of Real Faith. The Defining Proof of Real Faith. This is part of the greater series number three, A Joyful Suffering Salvation, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 9. And Peter has taught us that believers in verse 6 have joy while suffering. And the suffering is the suffering for Christ. In verse 6, that is the overwhelming context, not just the sufferings of life like having a flat tire or something, but suffering directly for one's service for Christ in the church or evangelism outside the church. And Peter has taught us in verse 6 now extensively that uh, the marks of suffering, that they are for a little while, number one, necessary, number two, they are distressing, number three, and they have variety, number four. He introduced, as I just mentioned, uh, verse 7, looking at other passages in the New Testament concerning this issue of salvation being proven by suffering. But now tonight, we go into this text in verse 7, and we start to plumb the depths of it. Verse 7 says, so that. We have a hina result clause. Hina is the pronunciation of the Greek word by English pronunciation, hina, H-I-N-A. It stands for that, T-H-A-T, or as a result of, or as a conclusion to what goes previous. So verse 7 is an applicational so that uh, conclusion or result that comes from verse 6. Verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that, or the result of this, is that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you word for word in the Greek order that you do not have in your note sheet. I will read the Greek word order as it's translated into English word for word and not recorrected into um, English. That the proving of you, the faith, more precious than gold, perishing by fire, though being refined, may be discovered unto praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the English text stays very close to the Greek. As we learned this morning in John chapter 1, verse 3, um, the Greek text emphasizes something that the English text does not. As Sue and I were talking about that this afternoon, um, the English text uh, reversed the order of those three phrases in John chapter 1, verse 3 for, for grammatical, English grammatical sake. But Greek gives more latitude where, you, where the writer can... Uh, make a predicate in the position of a, of a verb and switch the order in order to have emphasis. But this pretty much follows um, just about word for word the uh, Greek into the English. Letter A in our note sheet after the 
Roman numeral two, Christians are to be joyful while suffering for Christ. That's extremely important, by the way. I've been very careful in phrasing that Roman numeral two of this series. Roman numeral one was Christians are to be joyful despite trials. That's verse six. And now verse seven, the outline, Roman numeral number two, Christians are to be joyful while suffering for Christ. You do well to circle those three words, suffering for Christ. They have to go together. Peter is not talking about any old suffering, as I've already mentioned a few minutes ago. He's talking about specifically suffering for Christ. So letter A in the note sheet. Joy while suffering for Christ is the proof of saving faith. The, all caps for emphasis, the proof of saving faith. In order that the proof, notice not one of the proofs. Notice it says, in order that the proof. And again, the Greek says that the proving of you, the faith. The proving. It is singular. It is not one of many. There are other proofs of saving faith in the Bible, and in the New Testament especially. But this one, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us definitive singularity of proof. This makes it not the only proof when you see singularity like that. In verse 7, the proof. One would be wrong to interpret that to mean it is the singular proof and no others. That is an interpretive mistake. In the Greek, the purpose of this is to show that this is an extremely Mount Everest proof. I watched a fascinating, uh, Allison and I actually, when she was in, we watched it as well, a fascinating documentary on Netflix a few months ago on one of these Asian mountain climbers who decided to climb all of the tallest mountains in the world, the top 13 or 14, I think, and he wanted to do it in six months, usually just climbing one of them. Uh, it takes a year or two of preparation. It was an impossible task. One of the most fascinating documentaries I've ever seen in my entire life. He climbed all of them in six months. Never been done in the history of the world. The man looks like any old guy walking down the street. One of the genetically toughest humans who has ever lived. Fascinating. What's my point? Well, we assume that the tallest mountain and the only mountain worth mentioning is Everest. It is the mountain, right? The mountain. Well, what we don't know is there's a range of mountains in communist China that are almost as tall. And those are so much more dangerous than Mount Everest that the government of China for the last few years has prevented anyone on the planet from attempting to climb those. He got special proof. And it was a nightmarish climb of those. So we assume Mount Everest is the only one, but it isn't. There are other proofs, or as I'm using the analogy, mountains. And so that's true here. Even though it says the proof of your faith, let us not assume it's the only proof. That would be false. But its singularity also tells us this is Mount Everest-esque. This is extremely important. Number one under letter A. Joy while suffering for Christ, then, is the major proof of one's salvation. Major proof of one's salvation. We'd have to put it right up there. Possibly number one. 
And again, it's hard to rank mountains. Everest is the tallest, but far easier to climb than those four uh, deadly super mountains in China. In fact, Everest is so easy to climb now that at certain times of the year, you can see hundreds just following a rope guide up the side of Mount Everest. It's, it's so trafficked that there's hundreds just following each other up. He couldn't wait for that traffic jam when he did Everest. He had to do all 13, I think it was, in six months. So he actually skirted around this entire crowd going up Everest and climbed a different way and beat them all to the top because he had things to do and places to go. So here, what we're seeing here then is this is the major proof of one's salvation. This has to be way up there at the top. And just like many people don't even know about those dangerous mountains in China that have been closed down for years, and we just assume Everest is, so it is with this point number one. Write it down. Joy while suffering for Christ is the major proof of one's salvation. And the Greek order, as you need to write down next, says this, in order that the proving of you of the faith, the proving of you of the faith, that's how the Greek reads, which I just read to you. I want you to write that down. In order to the proving of you of the faith. The proving is the emphasis. In order that the proving of you of the faith. That word proof in verse 7 in the Greek is the emphasis. And this is so important, as I was just saying, about the mountains. Everyone thinks Everest is the biggest and the hardest. It isn't. And there are other proofs of salvation that many Christians turn to. Or even if they think of joy while suffering as a proof of the faith, that seems to be pretty minor. So Peter is trying to correct us here in moving to the top of the list, the proving of the faith. And you say, well, what is the proof? We'll get to that. Letter A under number one. Joy with suffering for Christ is an extremely important test of true conversion. That's the test. That's the proof. Joy with suffering for Christ is an extremely important test of true conversion, according to Peter here. The proof, write it down under letter A, it's in that point A, little a there, is great joy while suffering for Christ. That is the proof. Joy while suffering for Christ is an extremely important test of true conversion, according to Peter. Now, I've read some commentaries that incorrectly say the suffering that is mentioned, trials in verse 6, is just any old suffering. And certainly suffering, any types of suffering, is a test. It can test our faith. That's true. We don't discount all sorts of trials. If your boss fires you because there's a downsizing, that's a trial for a Christian. Maybe there's an economic downsizing in the corporation and... The boss fires. That's certainly a test of the faith. That's true. But it's just not the context primarily of what Peter is talking about here. And you can see that as he goes along in verse 7. We'll just jump ahead a little bit. Uh, that uh, your faith, even though tested by fire. So this suffering of verse 6 is a test by fire. It's directly related to our salvation. It's directly related to our walk with, uh, with the Lord. And so it's also called the outcome in verse 9 of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so what we have here is everything is surrounding our walks with Christ and suffering directly, cause and effect. Suffering 
because of my faith and service and witness for Jesus Christ. So when commentators come along and say, it's any old suffering, that's not correct. Unbelievers suffer, folks. So let's understand this right now. If the proof of the faith is any old suffering in verse 6, and it doesn't matter what kind of suffering it is, unbelievers suffer. And they, they don't suffer for the faith. So if the suffering or the trials mentioned in verse 6 is just any old trial, any old suffering, well, suffering by itself doesn't prove that one is saved because unbelievers suffer. Unbelievers have hardships and trials. That doesn't prove that they're saved. So we do, don't want to say that any old suffering is the proof of our faith. I know I'm saved because I had a flat tire. We don't want to say that. Unbelievers have flat tires. How could I ever see that as a proof that I'm saved? Also, we don't want to say that the proof is just suffering for Christ. That's not correct either. This is a unity in verse 6 that we studied. It is greatly rejoicing even though, if necessary, you suffer for the faith. So it would be incorrect to say the proof is just suffering for Christ. Well, some of us can suffer for Christ and do a really rotten job of suffering for Christ. We could suffer for Christ and whine. We could suffer for Christ and be discouraged and depressed. I don't think that would prove much. No, the whole thing is connected. The proof is exactly what letter A says. Joy while suffering for Christ. That is a singular entity. Joy while suffering for Christ. That is the proof, okay? So, we want to kind of rule out under little letter A that this is just any old suffering. We want to rule out under letter A that it's suffering for Christ, but it doesn't matter your attitude. That's not true. Proven faith is shown by these two partners. Great rejoicing in our salvation while suffering various hardships directly related to our faith in Jesus Christ. Very important. And this is a singular proof, literally, as I've mentioned, the proving. Since the companion to 1 Peter is James, I'm constantly referring to that. These are almost Siamese twins on suffering. They both talk about trials, suffering, and proving faith. So let's go over from 1 Peter to, uh, excuse me, backwards to James, chapter 1. And once again, remind us once again, saying the exact same thing in verse 2, James 1, verse 2, when you encounter various trials, notice, consider it all joys. You have the joy in verse 2, the encountering of various trials, exactly like 1 Peter 1, 6. Then verse 3 is very much like 1 Peter 1, 7. Knowing that the testing of your faith, here it says, produces endurance. What we have in 1 Peter 1, 7 is the trials under joy prove faith. Here it's testing your faith. And it's the same basic idea. Look at verse 12. The testing of the faith is to prove whether it's legitimate or not. Uh, chapter 1 of James, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, this is the same proving, approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It proves that he's saved. It doesn't save him. 
That's extremely important. So James and Peter are saying quite plainly that joy with suffering for Christ is a, the major proof. And here in verse 12, it is the approving that we can have assurance that we're going to heaven. Suffering for the faith. Now, when we're at church or witnessing, if we're suffering by sinning, that's not a proof. So I can't say this, for instance, in my own example. Well, I had great joy while I was repenting of sin this morning. And uh, therefore, I've suffered while uh, publicly repenting of sin. No, no, this is not suffering for the faith by sinning against people. It is suffering for righteousness, not because we're sinners. A person can't walk around church and say, well, I'm just, I'm as evil as the devil and people really hate me because I'm so sinful, so I'm suffering for Christ. No. This is righteous suffering. Okay? So it's not any old suffering under little letter A. Unbelievers can do that. Back to 1 Peter 1.6. It's not just suffering for Christ because we can do that with a bad attitude, negating the suffering. And thirdly, it's not um, suffering for sin. These all have to go underneath letter A. Let's not misunderstand this then. Again, it's not any old suffering. If an unbeliever can go through what you're going through, it's not what Peter's talking about in verse 7. That's not a proof of the faith. Secondly, it is not suffering for Christ divorced from joy. Thirdly, the Suffering for Christ is extremely important that we realize that this suffering is a test for the faith and shows who we truly are as Christians. This is so important. And uh, we don't want to mistake this as a test of carnality. I'm suffering through sin. Therefore, I know I'm saved. Every time I sin, I feel guilty, so I know I'm saved. Unbelievers feel guilty when they sin sometimes. It's not suffering for sin, it's suffering for righteousness. Okay? Letter B in the note sheet. Back to 1 Peter 1.7. Notice also that this passage begins and ends with joy. It's intertwined. They're Siamese twins intertwined. You've got verse 6, greatly rejoice. The end of verse 6, trials. You've got proof of the faith, verse 7. And then you find down in verse um, 8, you greatly rejoice with joy. This is extremely important. This passage then begins in verse 6 with joy and ends with joy at the end of verse 8. This passage begins with suffering in verse 6 and has suffering talked about in verse 7. So from the beginning of verse 6 and 7 down through, we have joy intermixed with the suffering for the faith. So here's the equation. You can put down on one of the lines, little letter B, where you wrote in, notice also that this passage begins and ends with joy. Here's your equation. It is suffering plus joy plus suffering plus joy. Okay? Or reverse it. Joy plus suffering plus joy plus suffering. Or have it this way. Joy at the beginning of verse 6. Suffering, verse 7, suffering, verse 8, joy, verse 8. So it would be joy, suffering, suffering, joy. The point I'm trying to make is, let us not assure ourselves of our true salvation by just seeing happy feelings with no suffering for the faith. 
Let us not have false assurance of true salvation by seeing us suffering for the faith while having no joy. That would be deadly. Letter C. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, in order that, it's a hina, that's I spelled out, which is called a transliteration. I spelled out the Greek word in English, H-I-N-A. This is a hina purpose clause referring back to the trials of verse 6. So the so that is there so that you will see what it's referring to before. Okay? Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith. So that has to encompass everything in verse 6. Nothing else is itemized. The entire verse 6 is capsulated by the word proof. Verse 6 is the proof. So it's not joy by itself. It's not suffering for Christ by itself. They're together. Peter is referring to the entire concept of verse 6 as a unity. Peter's point is that joy while suffering for Christ is summarily unique to a believer. Write that down under letter C. Suffering for Christ with joy or joy while suffering for Christ is totally unique to a true believer. Unbelievers don't have it. Carnal believers don't have it. Those two stay as pillars of proof. Joy while suffering for Christ. Look up here. A carnal believer can have suffering for Christ, I suppose, but no joy. A carnal believer could think that they have joy when they never suffer for Christ. A rebellious believer could lose joy and suffering and still think they're saved. These are pillars. Greatly rejoice, verse 6. Various trials. They go together. The whole of verse 6 is the issue that results in the purpose clause of verse 7. Now let's start to focus in letter D on the proving. That word proof. Dokimadzo. It's the proving in the Greek in your English New American Standard in verse 7. It says the proof. And here it says proving. Okay, Same thing. The, the word proof in verse 7 is a noun form of the Greek word. And testing or approving is the verb form. Okay, So what we have here in verse 7 is the proving. It is a noun. The proof of the faith. It is a thing. It stands as a pillar. It's not action, it's reality. Dakimadzo. And you should know this term. I've used, used it many times before and we've seen it in other contexts, but let's refresh ourselves. It is referring to this, the testing of metal for strength. At its base secular usage in Roman and Greco-Roman society, it's the testing of metal for strength. Dakimadzo. In other contexts, it can mean an examination. Uh, of a doctoral candidate for the sake of being approved, that they're qualified. So it can mean the testing of metal for strength or the examination of an individual to see if they're qualified in a field or an endeavor. Notice also that the word proof is used, the form of it is used twice in verse 7. The word proof of your faith. And then notice also tested. By fire. Same root. The word proof then is a noun tested in verse 7, tested by fire. Same Greek word, dokimazo, is in verb form. There's action to this testing. As you continuously have joy in the midst of suffering, this is testing, this is proof. 
So proof, the first use of the Greek word in verse 7, proof of your faith is a noun. It's a thing. Testing by fire is a verb. This word in this form in testing, by the way, that testing in verse 7, the second use of it, it's only used twice in the New Testament. It's used there in verse 7, testing by fire, and that we just read the other time in the New Testament it's used. It's what we just read in James 1.3. You can write that down under letter D. The verb form of dokimazo is only used twice in the New Testament. Here in verse 7, where it says, tested by fire, James 1.3, the testing of your faith. Same exact form. And as I mentioned also earlier, both James 1.3 and 1 Peter 1.7 give us different reasons for tests. The different reasons. For here, it's to prove the faith. The testing by fire is to prove the faith here. In James 1.3, the testing is to develop perseverance. To produce endurance in the believer's life. Same cause, different results. I've taught this to you before. Same cause, different results. Same cause, proof. 1 Peter 1.7. Same cause, testing. James 1.3. Noun and verb form. Two different causes. Cause number one of the proof is to prove the faith to be genuine. 1 Peter 1.7. Second cause of the same testing or proof is to develop or produce endurance, James 1.3. This is extremely important. If I was to draw the, draw the capital letter Y on a piece of paper, so you've got the branches at the top of the Y and then a singular downstroke. The downstroke is dokimazo, proof testing. In 1 Peter 1.7, you can write if you draw a letter Y on your note sheet, you can write 1 Peter 1.7. That is the dokimazo that tests if we're truly saved. James 1.3 is the other arm of the Y. The testing proves or produces endurance. Now this is extremely important. Therefore, if you're suffering with joy for the faith, not only will it always give you endurance, it will also test your faith and show it to be real. To put another way, if we are truly having joy in the midst of suffering for Christ, we will always have assurance of salvation and we will have a powerful God-given ability in the midst of suffering to endure and never quit. Christians then who quit serving living for the Lord because of trials, are Christians that have no assurance. These two forks of the letter Y always go together. You can't have assurance when you're suffering without endurance. Same cause produces two different results. The two different results are united. The proving produces assurance. The proving produces endurance. Those two are united. The same thing occurs in Ephesians 5. Let me remind you of that. Ephesians 5. Same cause, different results. Or two different results produce the same, the two different causes produce the same one result. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation 
but be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. Synonymous with led by the Spirit in Galatians 5. Synonymous with walking by the Spirit in Galatians 5. All right, that is a cause filled by the Spirit that produces a result, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we're reversing the why now. I know this is technical. Hang with me. First Peter 1 and 7 and in James 1, 3, the bottom of the why is one proof. One cause producing two effects. Now put the why upside down. And you have two different causes with Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 producing the same one effect. We've reversed the why. Look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, verse 16. And I'll repeat this if I've lost you. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That is a different cause than Ephesians 5, 18. Okay? So look up here. We've got... An upside down Y for this example. One side is Ephesians 5.18 filled with the Spirit. Other side is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But both produce the one stem of the Y upside down. The rest of verse 16 of Colossians 3 is the same as, virtually the same as Ephesians 5.18. You are filled with the Spirit, teaching and admonishing one another. So what does that tell us? Two different causes that produce the same effect. The two causes are synonymous. So to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3, to let the Word dwell with you richly, produces the thanksgiving and the singing, spiritual songs, and so forth. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, it is by tabernacling with the Word. And the evidence is the rest of Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16. Now, what I've just said is the why is this way. Same thing. One cause producing two different effects. Assurance, 1 Peter 1.7. James 1.3, endurance. One cause producing them. Pardon? Yes, producing endurance. Then these two coming from the same root source of dakimazo being proven, these two are not synonymous but they are deeply interconnected. The same root is going to produce the same flower. Back to 1 Peter 1.7. So I hope you understand that. It's an upside down why for Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16 and it is a right side why for these two. 1 Peter 1.7 and James 1.3. So I would do like this if I was trying to counsel myself. You always want to quit, John? Do you always want to give up on the faith, stop serving? Are you always tempted with that? Well, that's one fork of the why. If I don't have endurance, then I'm not going to have assurance. And I'm struggling then with joy plus suffering for Christ. That means that I'm not being proven. That I'm failing the test. If I lack assurance of my Christian life, then I'm failing the proving and the test, and it also means then that I want to quit. 
So when someone loses assurance of salvation, they also want to quit serving and living for the Lord. Okay? Same root, producing two different causes, or two different results. Same cause. Two different effects. So the effect is verse 6. Okay? This is the effect. Great joy, and it proves the faith. That's extremely important. So this is what dokimazo is. It's a proof. It proves the faith. It gives us assurance. That's under letter D. This is what Peter's telling us. Assurance and confidence of salvation comes by having joy with suffering for Christ that tests us or proves us and gives us assurance that we're in the faith. This means, under letter D as well, Joy while suffering for Christ is a miracle. It cannot be produced by the power of the human will, even for believers. It is a miracle of Holy Spirit power. If you want to see miraculous Holy Spirit power, it's not speaking in tongues. It's not raising the dead. What is it? It is joy while suffering. The Spirit of God produces joy while suffering for Christ. This is a miracle that the Spirit, when he sees joy while suffering for Christ, he then rewards that by proving this faith to be true, giving us assurance. Letter E, the bottom of the note sheet. Proving means that you are, are approved if you're suffering for Christ and have joy in Christ while suffering. Proving means you are approved if you are suffering for Christ and have joy in Christ while suffering. These are what you want to, this is the proof. This is what you want to look for. This shows that I'm saved. We may not have it perfectly. We don't continuously suffer for Christ and we don't continuously have joy. There is no aspect of the Christian life that we have every moment of every day. But we want to see consistency. The more we grow, the more we're tested, the more we have joy while suffering for Christ, the greater our assurance. So as joy grows while suffering for Christ, assurance is powered and grows. This is why in 1 John 4, turn over there to remind you, 1 John chapter 4, the only passages I've told you repeatedly in 1 John that deals with godly believers versus backslidden ones because 1 John is a book about fake believers and apostasy. 1 John 4 he talks about believers. And he says in verse 17, By this, love is perfected. Abiding in love, in verse 16, 1 John 4, verse 16, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So if you're living in love, you're perfected. You're growing. You're mature. You're a true believer. So notice verse 17, By this, love is perfected with us. Now here is a result clause, just like, 1 Peter 1.7, so that, in a clause, we may have confidence, assurance, in the day of judgment. That's assurance of salvation. What is the production or prover of assurance? It is love, perfected. Unconditional love for the body. Unconditional love for the Lord. This gives us assurance. Verse 17 is then saying that the person only person who has assurance is the godly believer growing in love. Assurance is only for the godly. 
And here in this text, it is love, continuously, consistently, that will give us assurance. If we walk around hating people, being aloof from people, thinking that we are justified in avoiding people, not liking them, not giving for them, this destroys, for the true believer, assurance. Back to 1 Peter 1, verse 7. So, not only is love a great assurance producer, strengthening the muscles of I'm, I'm sure I'm saved, but this greatly rejoicing while suffering various trials in verse 6, strengthens the muscles of your faith, proves you are saved. It doesn't save you. It is a proof. Write that down under letter E. Peter is not saying joy plus suffering saves us, gives us faith. It proves faith, tests it to see if it is real. Faith has been tested and found to be real because it shows forth with joy and suffering for Christ. They both have to be there. It is the authentication of our salvation to have joy while suffering for Christ. Again, it authenticates our salvation. It doesn't produce the salvation. Very important under letter E. Joy plus suffering for Christ authenticates it as real, our salvation. Joy plus suffering for Christ does not produce real salvation. It is the proof of our salvation. Extremely important. This is proper theology. This is accurately understanding the condition of your Christian life. So many times, as we saw last Sunday night, so many places our Lord and the Spirit of God is so loving and merciful towards us to give us a host of warnings and admonishments to make sure that we are in the faith. And Peter, through the Spirit of God, is giving us this blockbuster, this Mount Everest in verses 6 and 7. An astounding proof. Look for joy. Not just joy or happiness because you had a good meal. It's the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Great joy in verse 6 that comes even while you're suffering for Christ. There is the defining proof. That's the sermon title right there. The defining proof of real faith. Letter F to conclude this evening on the back side. Trials with joy is the best possible Christian maturity evidence you can have. This is where to look. What a simple test for one's spiritual maturity. What a simple test to look into your life and my, look into my life and see, are these couplets there, these two pillars, great joy while suffering? Or does every time I suffer for Christ, do I crash? Then I have no assurance. Do I have some made-up emotional joy or happiness even while I'm suffering that is not true joy, but just the joy that comes when the suffering ends, and that's not assurance. It is great joy in the midst of suffering with trials, a very simple test. I found in the body of Christ in America, uh, as I read and as I have listened to believers in the context of outside of our church and talk to believers, I hear things like this. Um, I know that I'm saved because... God has so blessed me with physical things. So I know that God is with me and has saved me. He has given me a raise. He's healed my body. He's blessed me with many promotions at work. Uh, I know that I'm saved because I prayed about a house 
or a car or new grass or whatever, and God gave it to me. And this is exactly the opposite of verses 6 and 7. It is not joy with comfort, joy with more money, joy with promotions, great things. This is the snare of wealth. American believers tend to think because I've been blessed with an increase financially, this shows I'm saved. Unbelievers have wealth. That's not a proof. It doesn't even mean that God is pleased with you. If unbelievers can have growing wealth and they end up in hell, then growing wealth for a believer, I can still end up in hell. It doesn't prove that I'm saved. We don't, under letter F, then, want to reverse the divine principle. It is joy with suffering that proves our faith, not joy with comfort or growing wealth. Wealth tends to be a curse, not a blessing. Few think this way these days. Don't be ensnared, dear brothers and sisters. Don't be ensnared by the idea of the day. And this comes into corporate churches. Christians go to a, they go to a large church to see thousands coming in. This is blessed. Look at the facilities. I rode a golf cart from my car to the front door because the church is so large. I needed a golf cart to get me there. Florida church in Florida is like that. We're a great McGregor Baptist church that the uh, you could take a golf cart from your car. Little stations and these people will take you to the front door. And there's nothing wrong with big any more than it's righteous to be small. There's no such thing. But my point is that you can't test the merits of a fellowship or a church based on wealth and size. Any more that you can test your own life that way. If you're impoverished and you have nothing, that doesn't mean you're under the chastisement of God. And if you have much financially, that doesn't mean that God is approving of our lives. So letter F is extremely important to close with. It is trials with, for the faith with joy, not comforts and wealth with joy. Take everything that you have then, vehicle, house, money, retirement, whatever it is, and whether you have much or little, remove your physical things in your life, financial things, completely off as a test of your faith. They have absolutely nothing to do to prove us that we're truly saved. Okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of the scriptures. May I not have confused it tonight, I hope and pray. May what I have said have been said in love. And yet may we also be convicted by the word to examine our own lives. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.